Hey, it's Jim Norton. Matt Sarah is not in today. Tune in to find out why. Is he alive? I don't know. We also have phoners from Mickey Gall and Rob Deerdeck. If they do indeed decide to call in, I don't know. It hasn't happened yet. He may finish it here. Oh, he's, he's out. out. He's out. Oh. It is all over. UFC and digital media present UFC Unfiltered with Jim Norton and Matt Sarah. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your hosts, Jim Norton and Matt Sarah. Wow, my headphones are loud. All right, what an interesting one this is going to be. Here's where we're at, my friends. First of all, welcome to UFC Unfiltered. I'm Jim Norton. And uh, Matt is, uh, I love Matt Sarah. We were having a very frazzled podcast this week because. I flew home from Buffalo last night. I've been on no sleep. I have not slept in two days, so I am fucking loopy. And Matt and I are doing the podcast. We always tape the day before. At night. We're doing it at night tonight because we have Mickey Gall calling in and Rob Derrick are calling in, which is great. But nighttime was their availability. So we're like, okay, great. So what happened is it's uh, you know a little after six. And I'm, I'm not name dropping, but this is what I was doing. This is what I had to walk out of to come here. I was doing, I'm helping consult on a a film about a comedian. So I just had, I I was in a meeting with Robert De Niro and Taylor Hackford and me in a room discussing this, a couple of these things for comedy. And he's used some other people, Jessica Kirsten, very funny standup. And I realized I had to get to UFC Unfiltered. And I was happy to come. I wasn't that far away, but it's very bittersweet. I enjoy the podcast a lot, but all I'm thinking of is Bob. And yeah, his beard and his hat. Your buddy, Robert De Niro. And so I get a text from Matt in the middle of this meeting. <laughs> Matt goes, I don't care, I had to be here. Matt texts me, and he's, I, Matt, if you're listening, uh, just relax, buddy, it's okay. It says, uh, dude, I'm fucked. Could you talk for a sec? If not, I'll call Chris. And I write, I'm in a meeting, what's up? He goes, talk after, man, sorry. And so I'm like, okay, something's happening here. I'm like, I hope it's not a family issue. So I'm like, Okay, man, can you make the podcast? No, man, I really fucked up. I want to call in, man, and we could talk about it if you want. Jumped on wrong train and woke up out east. (laughs) Texted you when jumping on train. Guy took my ticket. Started watching fights and passed out like I normally do. Woke up Smithtown. I suck. You deserve better. Uh It's like Matt Sarah just broke up with me. That's how relationships end. Oh, good. My fucking agent now is FaceTiming me. What a clusterfuck. So I, I wrote back, uh, I wrote, hi, it's okay, man. And he wrote, I love you, man. Sorry. And I wrote, it's, I'm going to be a little late too, man. It's okay, my friend. No problem. These things happen. You know, with, the, with Matt and I, the times have switched so many times because we have crazy travel schedules. Matt's away with Dana. You know, I'm sitting with my new friends. Do you know how hard it was? to walk out of that meeting. Like, do you know how bad I wanted to not come to the party? But we have Mickey Gall calling. I can't do that. This is a responsibility, right? This is what responsible people do. Yeah, 100%. People want to hear you. I don't wear condoms, but with work, I'm responsible. I am, uh, we have Mickey Gall calling in shortly. So I like Mickey. You know, it's funny. Somebody sent me, and I'll talk about this with him. But apparently he and I have met before. Um, I guess he had come to the Stress Factory in New Jersey and seen me uh, perform because somebody sent me a picture with Mickey Gall written on it and an arrow to him and he's behind me. So I don't remember when that was. I'll ask him when he calls it. I'm going to guess that was a year or two ago or maybe more. But uh, so tonight I'm really loopy. I apologize in advance. It's, it's, you know, I'm fucked up. I haven't slept. I'm a terrible shit sleeper. I was in Buffalo. It was awesome. Buffalo is a fun city to do comedy in. Great shows. Um, and I just didn't sleep. I knew I had to get up. You know, plus I'm like, I'm, I'm antsy. Like I haven't done anything perverted in four days. Five, nothing. I did watch the fights. Matt texted me during the fights. Like I was doing shows on Saturday. So I get a text in between shows. You fucking see that? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, don't tell me Matt. I had to write back. Like, dude, I haven't seen it yet. But I watched the main car. I didn't watch the prelims again just because I was on the road. I had a good time there. And uh, by the way, I'm, I'm recording a new special in October. In Washington, D.C., if you want to come see me October the 7th, I'm shooting a new special called Mouthful of Shame, and I'm going to Australia next week, so we're, our schedule will be up in the air next week. 
And obviously, we were going to cover the fights tonight. You know, there were some uh, amazing fights on the Condit Maya card, of course. But, uh, you know, Anthony Pettis over Charles uh, Oliveira and Paige Van Zant won in uh, pretty spectacular fashion. Of course, Miller beat Joe Lozon. But I want to wait until Matt's here, and I don't have my notes anyways. So I would rather discuss it with Matt, because we're going to talk about it anyway on the next podcast. So I could either just talk about it and annoy you, or Matt can come in and talk about it intelligently. And I can go, good point, Matt, because that's what's going to happen. And uh, plus we have uh, Mickey Gall calling in, and we also have uh, Rob Dyrdek calling in. So it's going to be a busy show. Uh, I do miss Matt, and uh, he probably went back to sleep. What the fuck is he doing? I think Matt's a drug addict. Matt's on heroin. <laughs> Hello? Mickey? Yeah. Hey, buddy. It's Jim Norton. How are you? What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. Matt Matt is not here. He took the wrong train. We're really frazzled today, so I apologize. How are, uh, what are you doing right now? Driving to practice. Oh, okay. Where did you and I meet, dude? I saw that photo at the Stress Factory. Was that the only time you and I have met? Yeah, yeah, I went to your show out at the Stress Factory. Yeah, okay. I've been a fan of yours for a while, bro. Thank you, buddy. And and, and how long ago was that? Uh, I think I, I went to, I think it was my senior year at Rutgers. Oh, okay. Um, so, like two years ago. How are you feeling? I feel great, man. I feel really good. Everything's, you know, coming together just right. And, uh, you know, you really put yourself in a good position, uh, with the CM Punk fight, I mean, it's very rare that a guy's first round... I mean, Brock might have gotten this kind of hype when he came in, but it's rare that a guy gets this much attention coming in and fighting for the first time. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a weird situation. Um, but uh, it's, I, I'm in a very fortunate spot. It's, uh, it's you know, it's a nice... Uh, it's, it's a big fight. It's a big name. And, it, and it, you know, it's not uh, a typical killer that you'd find in the UFC. Yeah, but you got like you're not taking him lightly, are you? Because I mean, I, you've you've won relatively quickly in your last two fights. I mean, but you're not taking CM Punk lightly because he hasn't had any professional fights. Absolutely not. It, it'd be stupid for me to do that. Um, this fight, it's a high risk, high reward. If uh, you know, I win, I you know, it's there's it, it would really help my MMA career. It'd be a lot of exposure, and you know, I get to keep moving on with my dream of being in the UFC. If I lose, I look like a freaking asshole. So, you know, it can, people, everyone at, treats him like a joke. Uh, so I, I'm not making that mistake. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking it very seriously. Do you think people are treating CM like a joke? Is that how they're looking at him? Uh, uh, yeah, I see a lot of that. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not making that mistake. You, you know, you see the, the clunky footage of him on the show from, you know, even though the footage is from over a year ago, you know, it's, there, there's, there's no way this guy beats me. I, I'll dominate this guy 100%. Well, do you think, I mean, they kind of said the same stuff about Brock when he came in, even though he has probably more of a wrestling background uh, than CM has a fighting background, and he did much better than anybody ever thought he would do. Yeah, uh, different caliber uh, people. You know, Brock was a, like it was a, a national champ wrestler. Um, you know, CM Punk's a professional wrestler. Uh, although Brock went into that, it's just, I think they're different athletes. You can just see the difference in the way they move. Uh, I I move differently than Sam Punk. I, you know, I, I move like an athlete. I, I don't, I just, I don't see, I don't see that with him. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm very confident going this fight. I'm not too confident, you, you know, overconfident and not training, but I, you know, I, I'm training hard as heck and, you know, I'm confident. And so you saw, you thought the footage of him was not impressive that you saw uh, from over a year ago. Have you seen anything more recent? No, uh, I, I guess the next two episodes of the show will, will show more recent footage, I, I'd imagine. Like I'm sure he he has improved uh, tremendously since then. He 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 better have, or, or he's dead. But uh, I, I think I, I'm sure he's improved. But I, I still think when like we get into it and we're in the fight and I'm hitting him, like he gets we get in the shit. Uh, I still think those bad clunky habits will will come out, and I'll, I'll be able to expose that. Well, do you have a certain amount of respect for him coming in? Meaning, like you know, you're a fighter and this is what you wanted to do, and he's kind of walked away from a fairly lucrative. WWE career, and he's putting himself in a much, much tougher situation. I, I have total respect for him and for what he's accomplished. He, um, you know, he made himself a superstar in his field, his sport. You know, he, I, I respect, uh, you know, the, the talent and the greatness. I just, I just, you know, it's a different world. Now it's for real. There's no, you know, you get in there, you, you come in the kid, and it's ballsy to, to come in and fight at this level. It's, it's ballsy to fight me. Uh, but I, yeah, so I absolutely respect it, but I just, you know, it's a different, it's a different world. He, every time he's been in a, a ring in front of a bunch of people, 
they it's like it's choreographed to a degree. You know what I mean? It's a predetermined outcome. This is me standing across from him within the rules of that trying to kill him. And how do you handle? Um, I mean, you know, you you kind of come from a you were unknown, and and now you're your third. What are you the third fight? There's the uh, Alistair uh, Miocic and uh, Travis Brown and Verdum, and I think you guys are are the uh, third uh, fight, right? Yeah, I think we're um, I think we're before the co-main. Right event. before the co-main, so yeah. The last. And how are yeah. you handling that pressure? I mean, that that's a big jump up from where you were. I, I love it. I uh, you know, I felt amazing in my. My my last fight, my first UFC fight, was the best I ever felt going into a fight. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've been working with a sports psychologist, too, because, you know, everyone talks about the UFC jitters and all that stuff, and I, I'm, you know, making sure that I'll, that I'll never experience that. I, I respond well to the lights. I respond well to the moment. I don't fold in the moment. I step up for that. And, uh, you know, the, my last fight brought the uh, how, how well I felt. Uh, I'm, I'm carrying that into this one, and it's giving, giving me great confidence. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, one of your boys, Jim Miller, did very well. Uh, How did you feel about that fight? He's a stud, man. It was, uh, you know, I, it was, you knew it was going to be a close fight uh, with the takedowns. You never know how the judges uh, are going to score it. it. It was, a, you know, it was a close fight. It was a great fight. But uh, Jim was definitely getting the better of the exchanges on the feet. But, it, it, you know, no doubt it was a, uh, a razor-close decision. And obviously, you know, you don't want to give away your game plan and what you're going to do, but what do you think Punk's game plan is going to be for you? I think he's going to try and, you know, bring the fight to me. He, he, he can't hang with me. He's not as talented as me. He has a, you know, he has a two-year-old's vocabulary. He's been doing this for two years. I've been doing this for eight years. I, my vocabulary is, uh, is, is bigger than his. It's, and, uh, you know, just my talent. I'm a, I'm a different athlete than he is. Uh, so I think he's going, to, he, if, he's going to try and come in and make it ugly. Um, try and bring the fight to me, and I welcome that. I I, I love that. I hope he does. I, he's gonna walk into some big punches and probably go down early. Well, that's an interesting point too. Is that is that your vocabulary? In a way, there are certain things. It's it's like learning uh, to dance or do anything else. After X amount of years, things just become a second nature or an instinct. Whereas in the first couple of years, you might still be a little bit more in the learning phase and where you have to think before you just completely react naturally. Exactly. It's. It, for me, I'm just going to be relying on my senses. I'm just going to be going, uh, it'll be autopilot. I won't be thinking in there. He's going to probably have to, and that's, you know, he's, he's going to drown with me. And uh, what did you do before you fought? I mean, you're fighting for eight years. You're 24, so you started when you were 16. What, what, what were you doing right before then? The last, like, normal job that I had was uh, I was driving a bread truck all up and down Jersey. I, uh, oh, you'd actually get there. You'd, I, I pick up the truck in Newark, and I drive all the way down to, like, uh, like LBI area. I oh, okay. Overnight. To make some money uh, during college, and you started fighting. Why? I started fighting when I was sixteen. Uh, you know, I, growing up, I played all the sports. I was captain of my football team. But, but once I really got exposed to like the UFC, uh, I was like, "This is the real. This is the real shit." Uh, all these other, you know, all these other sports is like we got a ball and we're we're simulating war. But this is this is a real war. This is a real battle. It's, and uh, it, it was just the ultimate sport to me. So I was like, "I, I got to do this. I I I know I could be good at this." So you were watching it, and then you said, that's what I want to do. Yes. Who was it that made you feel that way? Do you remember? I've trained with Jim and Dan Miller since I was about 18, 19. And I was, I was, a fan, I was fans of those guys before. You know, I was like, oh, look at these tough Jersey guys always going in and scrapping. I was also a big Chuck Liddell fan at first. Now, you were discovered uh, when Matt and Dana were on uh, Dana White looking for a fight. They, uh, they found you. Where were you? Were you in Philadelphia you fought? Yeah, in Philly, yeah. And uh, now, did they tell you, hey, look, Dana's coming tonight, um, this is what might happen, or do you find out when you're there, or how is that from the fighter's perspective? I found out about a month before. Oh, okay. Um, I, I found out Dana was going to be at the Ring of Combat show, which is in Jersey, which is the night before my fight, and then I got a call from Frankie Perez, who owns uh, Dead Series MMA, the promotion I was fighting for, and he was like, hey, I got big news, Dana White's going to be at the fight. And uh, immediately as I hung up the phone with him, I was like, like, I was thinking, how do I make the most of this? And I was like, oh, I'll call out CM Punk. Uh, I'll be 1-0. Punk's 0-0. I can't call out, like, Robbie Lawler or someone ridiculous. Like, that I would, that would never happen. But CM Punk, there's actually a chance. That's one guy I could definitely fight at 1-0 in the UFC. So what do you see happening if you, if you win this fight? I mean, wh- what's your next logical step if you were to win? Keep moving up the ladder. I fight the, the, the real killers of the UFC, and that's what I want. I want... You know, I, I want war with these guys. I, I want I want to go to war with the best in the world. 
And do you think it's bad if the fight, like, you know, like, again, you've, uh, you've won by submission very quickly. Do you think it's bad if all of a sudden uh, CM makes it into the second round or makes it into the third round? I mean, does that, does that uh, shake what you want to do at all? No. Um, no, it wouldn't be bad. I, I, I think I'll take him out in the first round. I think five minutes is, is too long for him to, to be able to hang with me. But, it, you know, if it goes into the second, that's fine with me, man. I, I'm just going to get stronger as that goes on. My, my conditioning, everything, is just, I'm in the best shape I've ever been. It'll just give me more, more ring time. It'll give me more, you know, more cage time, more experience. I, so I, I'd be fine with it if it goes like that. But I will be, if I'm not completely dominating, then, then it's bad and, and I'm, I'm underperforming. Okay, so you're going to, oh, sorry, go ahead. About that. You're going to feel but disappointed. I'm, I'm underperforming. If if you don't totally dominate, you're going to feel disappointed and like you haven't done what you should do. Absolutely, 100%. Does, does that not put like a little bit of uh, extra pressure on you? Because now you not only have to beat the guy you're fighting, but you have to be like, you know, like when you look, you look at uh, uh, Miochik Overeem, you know, those guys just want to win. Uh, but you have to win in a certain fashion or else you're not going to feel like you've done a good enough job fighting. Yeah, I felt that way through my whole career, though. I, I've always wanted to. I, when I get out there, I you know, us MMA fighters, we train uh, like two times a day, five, six days a week. We get 15 minutes in front of the world, and if you don't do it, then you're a piece of shit. You're 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 garbage. Uh, so you have to you have to step up, and I, I want to show what I'm capable of. I want to do my best for my 15 minutes. Now, I always ask the guys uh, before you uh, fought professionally. Did you have any really shitty amateur fights? Um, or were you always fighting under pretty good or pretty uh, legit circumstances? Yeah, there's a there's a mixed breed. I, I gotta say, mine have been pretty cool. Um, yeah, I fought for CFSC, which is one of the best uh, regional promotions around in uh, at least in like the Northeast. I had one where I remember my opponent. The the commission came late. This is one of the worst days of my life. Uh, my opponent failed his medicals as I was putting like my my gloves on and about to like go to the cage the the commission came late his blood pressure was too high i was just devastated at that point when you're in the back waiting the whole time and then they tell you oh you're not fighting that was brutal that was a that was a terrible time i remember i was i was crying to dan miller <laughs> in the hallway i was so, i was so upset yeah, see, that's the difference between guys like you and guys like me. It's one of many differences. Like, I would be so fucking relieved if I didn't have to go through with it, but you, you're the guy who legitimately wants to go through with it. Oh, yeah, I want war, man. Hey, have you spoken to CM at all outside of this realm at all? Have you guys had any moments where you see each other at a press conference and you've actually spoken or said hello? Nah, uh, I hear we have a conference call this Thursday. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to light him up. Well, he's pretty good on the mic. You know, I tell you one thing. Wrestlers are really, really good talkers, and I haven't really heard him talking a lot of shit. Um, you know, he, he seems to have been pretty subdued. Even when we entered him, if interviewed him at first, you know, he seems confident and like he feels he could definitely beat you, but he hasn't been uh, coming off as, as cocky or, or like he's uh, putting on a show. Yeah, no, he has been uh, respectful. Yeah, I, mean, I guess he, he has to do that, you know, that positive believe in himself stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I got the truth on my side, man. Anything I say, I, I, I truly believe. When I, when I say I dominate him from, for every minute of that fight, I know that's the truth. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about him being slick on the mic or whatever. And other fighters have been really supportive of you. What has their reaction been kind of behind the scenes and in training? Uh, the guys I met have been, rel- have been very supportive. Uh, I, I don't know how, how everyone feels. You know, both, both myself and CM Punk, like, like we've, I, I'm two and zero. Oh. I have five MMA fights. I, I, I had three amateur fights, and uh, you know I have five and all. He has none. We're, we're on the main card. There's probably guys who put in you know that more work and are more deserving of that. But you know who who's who's to say what anyone deserves? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I've had every experience I've had. Everyone's been cool. They're like, hey man, you know, beat this dude up, represent MMA, and uh, that's what I intend to do. I intend to represent the real MMA fighters who've had to work you know crappy jobs. It couldn't just go into the UFC with no fights just off our pro wrestling name. Well, deserves is you know is, is a relative term because like yeah you work your way up in, in the ranks and you know you deserve a title shot or you deserve this fight sure but it's also about who can sell tickets and that is a reality and it was after McGregor Aldo when Aldo wanted a rematch somebody was saying like would they be able to sell it uh, and they said the same thing after uh, Henan Barrow and, and Uriah where where I think it was Herb Dean thought that Uriah wasn't responding but he was. And the fight ended very quickly. And even though Uriah did not deserve to lose that fight that way, it's like, can you sell the rematch? I mean, you have to be able to sell tickets. 
Yeah, and that's that's why whenever people have said like, do you think it's unfair that Sam Punk got in? It's like, man, well, first of all, I'd be a real asshole to to just be like, oh yeah, it's unfair. I, I'm I'm getting get, being given a great opportunity from it. But he, yeah, he's going to sell tickets, man. It's a business move. I totally understand the move, and uh, you know, it's 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 a smart business move to bring this guy in. He's going to bring all those wrestling eyes over to our sport. You know, the real the real shit, as real as it gets. And it, and it doesn't feel like, you know, when, when Randy Couture fought uh, James Tony, it was kind of like, hey, the, the boxer against the mixed martial artist. But it doesn't feel that way this time. It feels like this is a guy who's like legitimately training. And whether he wins or gets his ass kicked or whatever he does, he legitimately is trying to do this the way you guys do this or the way mixed martial artists do this. He's not just trying to come in and win at his own game. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. It um and yeah, I'm glad, man. He he went to a great camp, uh, Rufus Sport, uh, Duke Rufus. You know that, that's one of the best camps in in the country. Uh, and yeah, it seems like he's doing everything right. But I, I just it, I just don't see it. It's not gonna be enough, man. I, I'm a different animal. I'm gonna be too much for him. And what do you think of uh, the other fights on the card? Uh, Miocic against Alistair Overeem is a really interesting matchup. I love it, man. Heavyweight championship. Uh. You know that's two of the baddest men on the planet. I I, I can't wait. I can't even. I, I have no clue what's gonna happen there. You got Overeem, who's you know one of the maybe maybe one of the best strikers in the UFC, even pound for pound. And Miocic, he's just been on a tear, man. He, and he's been looking phenomenal. Now, when you have to fight, will you watch the other fights that night? Um, yeah, they have it. They have it playing in the back. I'll uh, I'll, I you know I'll definitely be watching uh. Favors over him after I get that win. Uh, well, you oh yeah, that's right. That'll be after you fight. Now I'm thinking, will you watch fights before you fight, or can you not concentrate? Yeah, they have them. They have them playing in the thing. Uh, you definitely, you definitely, you know, watch. They're they're uh, they're on in the in the training room. Okay, so you room. you sound very confident, and you are favored. Uh, you are favored to win. So you know, I mean, I, I think you obviously have a good shot at winning just because you're you're fighting for a lot longer than CM is. Thanks, man. Yeah, I I, I agree. And oh, good luck, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to root against a guy from Jersey, but CM's a friend of mine, so I, I love him. So I can't root against CM Punk either. I'm being a real pussy oh, here. Come but on, I, Jim. I, I can't do it. I have loyalty because we have a photo together, and you're loyalty, a Jersey guy. Whatever. And uh, you seem like oh, a good man. dude, but I, I, CM's a buddy of mine for a while. He actually texts me nice things. If you text me nice things, I'll pull for you. Of course I text you nice things, man. I, I'm, every time I listen to Opie and Jimmy now, I'm going to have to think. Jimmy's not a, not a fan of mine, not rooting for me. That's no, a, I actually like you a lot, but I, I don't know who to root for <laughs> in this one. But I, I actually, I, I do like you a lot, and I, and I think that you're a good choice for his first fight because you guys, again, you're both kind of coming into this uh, as far as you know professional records. As close as two guys can come in, and uh, you know, you're a guy who not, does not seem to be intimidated by the uh, enormous amount of uh, interest this is, is getting. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to hang up for you on you, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. Fuck it. Most people do that. I just talk until they get sick of me, and then they click, <laughs> and they they go away. But you seem to be a nah, great man, choice for this fight. Thanks, bro. I, I'm a bad choice for him, but yeah, it's a good choice. You can build a, a young kid off it. And last question. was was when, when you called him out, was that something you said you were going to do to yourself? Like, you knew, like, this is the fucking move. It was almost like, uh, you know, I'm going to get their attention if I win, and I'm going to do this. Yeah, right. Uh, like I said, right as I got off the phone, I was like, that. That's the only. That seems to be the only move. When's Dana White going to be at my fight again? You know what I mean? I, I didn't. You know, I I figured I have to beat up five or six more guys locally, and then I'd get my USC shot. So I was like, here, maybe I could. I, I, cause I've seen guys who, you know, guys like Andy Main and Sean Shorty Rock Santella who belong in the UFC and still haven't gotten their shot. Um, so yeah, I, I needed to take advantage of the opportunity. So I knew that was that was the move. And did you find out you had a contract right after that, or does that does that process take a little while? Do they come right back and tell you you're good, or or did you just kind of instinctively know it? Nah, you know it's funny. I didn't hear shit. I, uh, I until I was watching. With, me and my dad were watching the Condit and Lawler pay per view, and then I see a, a commercial for the Dana White looking for a fight show, and I, I'm talking on the pay per view. No one said a word to me. I was like, what the? We like paused. We like recorded it on our cell phones. We're like, what the heck? Like we were t- we were completely you know surprised by it. Oh, so it totally caught, nobody let you know a fucking thing. No, and then, you know, like about a week and a half later, you know, my, I think my my dad got in touch with uh, Dana White, and he was like, hey, we're going to bring you in to fight this guy, and if you get it, you can fight CM Punk. My dad didn't even ask me. He was like, hey, you're fighting uh, February 6th. I was like, cool, let's do it. All right, brother. Well, good luck, man. Um, you know, when are you heading out to uh, Cleveland? How much longer do you have before Tuesday. you just... 
What's that? A week from tomorrow. Oh, a week okay. From tomorrow, next Tuesday. So you have another week of training, and then you can kind of just go out and do what you got to do. Yes, sir. All right, buddy. Well, good luck. And now talk to us after too, man. We would love to get you actually in studio, but I know you're training twice a day, like you said. But um, you know, I would love to talk to you after the fight, regardless of what happens. All right, thanks, Jimmy. All right, thank you, Mickey. Good talking to you, man. All right, you too, buddy. Bye. Take care, Mickey Gall. Two and zero. One and zero in the UFC fighting CM Punk. But you guys, you guys know that. I don't need to reiterate. But I do think that I should discuss the fantasy football season because it's fast approaching, as you people know. You're not stupid. It's your passion. You know all the players and the teams, their strengths, their weaknesses. I hate saying strengths. I can never say it. Their strengths. Don't miss your chance to put knowledge to the test and play for the $1 million top prize at DraftKings.com. It's part of the $5 million in total prizes they're doling out in this week one contest. DraftKings.com is the destination for one-week fantasy football. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. Play whenever you want with the players that you want. You don't have to worry that some of the dude drafted the guy you wanted or that you have to follow this thing all the time, all season. Who's got time for that crap? I don't. You certainly don't. Just pick your contest, draft your players, and follow your team live. You can also challenge your buddies in private league to prove that you're the superior GM or you want to join an existing league to go head-to-head with friends, coworkers, and fantasy players from across the country. That's your business. I'm not going to tell you what combination. I don't know you. You don't know me. I'm just throwing out options. What you do is up to you. Visit DraftKings.com now to choose your players and you can win serious cash in week one. Use code K-O and play for free with your first deposit. That's code K-O. And it's not the word dash. It's a little dash, the line, the type you see on a tombstone. K-O to play free for your share of the $5 million in total prizes for this week one contest. Only at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions may apply. You got to see the website for details. This is UFC Unfiltered with Jim Norton and Matt Serra. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports UFC Unfiltered. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? Of course you do. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of one button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or your tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com unfiltered. That's quickenloans.com unfiltered. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. I want to take the chance, by the way, to thank the people of Buffalo. I haven't been up to Buffalo in years, and I always go in the winter like a complete douche. I do New Year's Eve gigs in Buffalo, which is really stupid. It's self-defeating. They come out to the shows, though, because there's nothing else to do up there in the winter except go and see me. So in the summer, they were good crowds, but you know, there's other stuff to do. And I get up there and I find out, like, I'm... Comp- I don't know if other performers have this thing where you're afraid you're competing with people. But I had to go up on one... The Friday night, Dr. Dirty John Vale. But you guys know... He plays the piano. He's filthy. He sings, you know, going to the gangbang. You've heard him. All those dueling piano guys that you hear, those are guys doing a lot of what Dr. Dirty did. Uh, John Vale be very funny. You've heard him. So he was. he's a local legend up there. He was down the street on my Friday night show. And then fucking Saturday, Andrew Dice Clay is in Niagara and Kanye West is next door doing the arena. Still good crowds, but I, I worry about people I'm competing with. And uh, Buffalo, for, you know, for being a winter town, they spend a lot of time outdoors. There's a giant duck in the water. They have like a massive inflatable duck. I've never wanted to fucking shoot anything so badly <laughs> in my life. What's the attraction of that? Can somebody in Buffalo... Write me and tell me, what is the attraction of that shitty duck? Do people ride it? I don't know what they... No, it's true. It's massive. Oh, okay. It's a massive duck. Like, you ever see the rat outside a non-union thing? Yeah. When they're protesting? It's much bigger than that. I always thought that rat was silly. Like, I get you union guys. You don't like people fucking around. I get it. 
But that's just kind of, it didn't look menacing, the rat. It just looks kind of cute. Ah, look at the big fella. You know? I guess the guy's screaming at you. You, you always know when there's a strike happening, when a bunch of guys are screaming at customers. I was at a Veri- the Verizon strike was happening. And I'm like, why are all those guys yelling at people walking out? And then I went to walk into a Verizon. And they're all like, don't go in, we're striking, don't. And I'm like, F- I needed something from Verizon, but I'm like, fuck it, man. It's hard to say no to fucking 30 guys in flannels. <laughs> But then when you don't go in, they thank you. Right. And then you feel better. They're like, hey, thank you, man. Thank you. So you kind of feel good when you honor a picket line. you know? Yeah, Verizon's wow. not going to thank you. What? What's going no, on? No, I'm just looking at that uh, girl I know who's leaving. Holy shit. Wow. She's a friend of mine. Tamara Holder. If you guys don't know Tamara Holder. She's on Fox News a lot. She has a sports show. I should have had her in here to talk UFC. Does she? I mean. Does yeah, she, she does. Yeah. Oh. She does. We've talked it before. She's rather lovely. We should have got her. What else are we doing? <laughs> we're gonna hear from Rob Deerdeck in a minute. That's yeah, no, I know. I'm just saying it would be nice to have her in here. No, no offense. I enjoy being with you, but if Matt's not gonna be in here, no, I... might as well have somebody who I think is attractive. I understand. I just never understood the stupid little things the town has. I went with a friend to Woodstock, New York, and I forget what they had. It was like the world's largest something cotton candy display or something, like some shit display. It's like what do you or the or the largest ball of yarn, like. Do you live in a town like that, anybody? Like, what the fuck is the attraction to that? Who who does that? Who's proud of that in their town? Yeah, we've got the largest ball of yarn here. You're kidding. You mean there's never been one bigger? No, this is the biggest one. And you know what's worse? Assholes like me. I actually went up to see it. Whatever it is in Woodstock. Maybe we could Google that. Woodstock attractions. While we're waiting for Rob Deerdeck to call in, we're going to Google that. Because I'm really curious. And it's hard to talk without Matt here. I miss my buddy. Yeah, well, he's toiling out on the far end of Long Island. I know. He literally, he woke up with fucking water in his mouth. That's how far out he went. He fell asleep on the train and went the wrong way. I think Matt's an alcoholic. That's what I think. Matt's been (laughs) drinking. (laughs) All right. Do we have our guest? Hi, Rob. How are you, pal? Good. Good. You're talking to Jim Norton. Matt Sarah um, is not here tonight. He was supposed to be here tonight, but he hopped on the wrong train um, and fucking fell asleep and wound up on the eastern side of Long Island. So he's about three hours from where we are right now. Damn, it's like I was just listening to the one before. He was not there either due to your guys' traveling schedules. Oh, you know what? Yeah, well, he goes and does uh, a Dana White looking for a fight. So Matt and I, once in a while, are not going to be synced up. Like, I'm going to Australia next week for shows. So once in a while, we're going to miss each other. But this was just one of those fucking fluke yeah. things. You know how it is in a partnership. Uh, you know, you, you've been in a, a creative partnerships before. And it's weird when you have two individuals trying to come together for one purpose. As is life. Jim, as is life. You're 100% right. I, I didn't think of it in such philosophical terms, but you're not wrong. All right, that was awkward, but I'm happy that we're talking. You broke up with... <laughs> you and your partnership ended. I've had partnerships ended. How, how are you... It's been a, a long time now, but how, how, are you, how have you carried on and how have you dealt with that? In what sense, my friend? Uh, when you and Big Black ended, it didn't end particularly well, and I haven't followed the saga. Uh, you know, have you guys ever made up before? Did you guys ever come to an agreement? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we ended up shooting multiple seasons of Fantasy Factory. Oh, you did? Okay, there you go. Stupid question. I should have known that. Yeah. And who awkward took... again. No, awkward I don't feel awkward again. about that because I know very little about pop culture. But who actually uh, took the first step in reconciliation? Uh, I think it was pretty mutual. It was. I mean, just two, two good friends that, you know, I think it, that sort of example of both of us propelled into the mainstream and fame of that level was just sort of a, a tough sort of process, I think, for both of us at the time, you know, and I think we were both worn down by how hard that was to shoot that type of show, you know. You know, I'm not a good creative collaborator. Like, you know, I get like really married to my ideas or my, th- are you good at doing that at like when someone else has an idea just going, okay, maybe I'm wrong or is that hard for you to do? No, I I think it, it it is what it is. I would say I'm I understand collaboration. I don't think all my ideas are great, and and for the most part, I try to like surround myself with other really creative, smart people that that uh, can trust their creative insight just the same. You know. Are you surprised with? Uh, you know, I remember uh, years ago. I, I forget who who's the uh, Tony Hawk. He's the famous skateboarder. And I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about him, and that was like the first guy in that world that non-skateboarders to me knew about. Uh, what was it that actually woke you up to this? What, to uh, Tony Skate- Hawk's To skateboarding and the whole, the, whole, the whole life that you're in. Oh, well, I mean... <laughs> I mean <laughs> 
<laughs> because I've been a skateboarder since I was 11 years old, you know what I mean, when when uh, Tony Hawk was pro. But what drove Tony Hawk into the mainstream was when the X Games started, you know, and he did the, the 900 and had the video game at the same time. That's what exploded him into the ether that really made skateboarding, like, sort of mainstream. And really, it's like Jordan and Tiger Woods and Tony Hawk and as far as name recognition and athletics, only the sport just isn't quite connected to vert skating like he did, you know, where it's uh, street skateboarding has sort of evolved to to what's going into the Olympics and all that stuff, you know. You're pretty amazing. And that's where I came from, you know. You're a pretty amazing guy, though. Like, you don't seem to be happy just doing one thing. Like, you, you have a lot of different things. You know the uh, the Deer Deck Reserve. Uh, it's it's kind of like uh, the Shark Tank in a way. Is that what that is? Where where guys come to you with ideas and you see what you can do with them? Uh, no, Deer Deck Reserve is you know uh, because I've had sort of a history of doing kind of crazy life moments of. Uh, getting attacked by sharks and flipping cars and breaking world records. The reserve is a foundation uh, for other people that have crazy ideas and have completely planned them out, and they just need capital that I'm going to fund their crazy ideas. What's a crazy idea that you wouldn't fund? Uh, maybe someone like, you know, trying to see if they could cut themselves in half with a sword. You know what I mean? But if if we – I'll give a really good example of say you're an ex-professional fighter and you're 42 years old and you were one-time champion and you're also a a multimillionaire sports league owner and, and you had the dream of riding a bull – yeah, you had it all planned out, but you couldn't afford to actually pay for that bowl. I would pay for that bowl to let you have that life experience like Matt Sarah. You, you would pay for that bowl just to let Matt do it. If, if that was his dream, you would fund it. That's it. That's uh, it. Now, how hard is it to get it? I, you know, it's funny. When I watched Tom Cruise when he did Mission Impossible 4, he was on the, sur, uh, the side of the, what's it, what was it, the Burj Khalifa Tower. And I'm like, what, what the fuck is the insurance on that? How do you get insured for some of this stuff? Or is there stuff that they said they wouldn't insure you for? Yeah, I, it's all kind of like the same blanket insurance. Like nobody ever, and this is all the way down to like, you know, I flipped a car ramp to ramp, jumping 80 feet barrel, rolled it for a Super Bowl commercial. And even the insurance on that wasn't too bad, you know what I mean? That was like a big deal with Chevy and all this stuff, you know. So there's kind of like a max limit that they feel like it can go to when you put yourself in danger, which is about $10 million, and that's pretty much all they care about. Oh, okay. Um, well, you're expecting your first, uh, your first child. Uh, when, when are you actually expecting? Within uh, September 9th. Has that made you change the way you want to do things and be a little bit less dangerous? I, I'm retired. I've been retired. Oh, okay. So I guess that would be a yes. That would be a hundred percent yes. But way, way before, uh, way before having a child, it's just you know, physical ability uh, truly dies off at about thirty-eight, thirty-nine. You know what I mean? When you start hitting forty, you ain't. You, last thing in the world you want to do is is do anything that's going to break your body down, especially stunts. You know. But a lot of people do it though, man. A lot of people keep going. A lot of fighters, especially boxers, you see, they just they go three fights too many. Was it hard for you to walk away, or were you like, "Fuck this, I just don't want to get hurt anymore"? It was easy to stop, but it was annoying too because, you know, the last thing I did is I broke a world record for jumping a car backwards 90 feet. And I just thought to myself, God, that's so easy. Like, I don't even like, all I got to <laughs> do is drive backwards and shoot the thing. Like, it's going to be so easy. But of course, the day of, you're like, this is so stupid. Why am I even here again? Uh, but that was, uh, that was the last sort of great stunt that I did. And it, so in a way, it's, it's kind of hard because it was like, well, you didn't feel like that was a big enough deal. But then again, you're walking away doing something amazing. That's got to be satisfying. That's it. And it's like I have an amazing highlight reel. And that's the whole point of the reserve is ultimately to, to give people a chance to, to live out doing the crazy things that they, they desire to do, but don't, may not necessarily have the resources like I always seem to manage to find. You know. What was a really satisfying one for you? I mean, I'm sure they're all satisfying on some level, but what was one that, that made you feel particularly good? I don't know. I think when I got attacked by the shark on purpose probably was pretty a remarkable feeling because it's just almost like one of those like inherent human terrors. And it's like the idea of like actually being in the jaws of a shark like is pretty uh, remarkable feeling, you know. What kind of shark was it? The reef shark. And what did they do? Did they put a, like, uh, uh, like a chain uh, suit on you or how did they protect yeah. you? Yeah. 
Yeah, so you're in a change suit, and then you put a piece of tuna on your elbow, then you have to hold your wrist because if they they thrash you so crazy, you got to use your body leverage by gripping your elbow or your wrist. So because if they pull your arm out, it'll just shatter your arm, you know. And how big was the shark? Uh, probably like eight feet. Was there a moment when you're doing this when you're like, I really shouldn't be doing this? Or once he bit you, were you like, okay, I can survive this? Right, it's, it's every... A week out, it's amazing. The day of, it's stupid. Right afterwards, it's incredible. Okay, and is it, you was know what some, I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. And with something like a shark, is there a moment like where when it's happening, you're like, I've, I've, I'm doing this now, and there really is, there's no way out of this other than to let it run its course. Yeah, I specifically was like, I can't. I'm, I'm actually getting attacked by a shark. A moment of clarity. But even after that, like, as I was swimming back up. I just made myself like look down and look at the scene. I just stopped and like remember this. You will never like ever be in this position again in your life, hopefully, you know. So kind of enjoy it in a way or remember every moment of it or drink it in for whatever it's worth because you'll never yeah. be here again. Because you have a tendency to get with all this type of stunt stuff, you get so you work so hard to plan it, then you're so concentrated and filled with adrenaline and so scared leading up to it that it's like over and you're exhausted and you got to think about it to try to reflect on it since there's so much sort of stress involved, whether that's car stunts or jockeying a horse, getting towed into a wave, getting attacked by a tiger, like whatever it is, you it's sometimes hard to like step back and, and, and soak in what you actually just went through, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of times I've done that and not in nearly as dangerous situations, but it's almost like not living in the moment. It's like doing something and then doing it and then looking back on it. Like it was something I read about instead of like having the memory of doing it because I just wasn't paying attention or I was too nervous or whatever the fuck I was in the moment. So I yeah, think you're but, smart. Yeah. And think about the first time you got in front of a crowd to do comedy. Like think how gut wrenching, like it's the same level of adrenaline, like of, of just, just doing that. You know what I mean? And then it's like, you're almost like blacked out till you get used to it. You're almost like blacked out in trying to remember like how did it go type of thing you know? that's a good way to put it and it's always something that you're not expecting like for me doing stand-up the first time i did it what threw me was hearing my voice projected back at me over a mic that was the yeah. weird moment so what was it like you know say with a shark or, or any of these things what was it that you weren't that kind of caught you off guard that you weren't expecting that got you you know i, I think it's always different depending on the situation you know what I mean I, I think with the shark it was just like I, I didn't an anticipate how hard it would be to breathe uh, when you're dealing with like adrenaline while uh, you know breathing out of a tank you know right. what I mean I think in different ones whether it's like you know, from the stunt ones of not, a, you know, slamming my head into the roll bar and not being able to see. I'm not like I'm I'm concentrating on landing after flipping a car 60 feet ramp to ramp. Last thing I expected was to smash my head into the roll cage, you know. And why does being hurt not like for, for guys like me, that's a motivator to never do it again. But then guys like yourself or like fighters, it motivates you to keep going. So when you get hurt or something goes wrong. What what is your thought process? You're like I got to get out there and do this again, or uh, what? Like I don't understand how the mind works that way. I, look, it's you know I bet a lot of fighters go through the same sort of thing where it's like once the fight's over, then you thought of everything you did wrong and what you could do better, and then as time goes, uh, you slowly start forgetting about the the war that you went through and get back into technique and training and then it's like by the time it comes to doing it you're already built up to do it again because you want to prove it again you know it's like i almost equate it to vegas where it seems like such a good idea until you spend two days there then you're like i'm never coming back here ever again and then like six months later you're like you know what let's go to vegas it's like it's more like in that sense you know yeah do you gamble because i'll be honest i i do gigs in vegas and it really like i'll play a little bit i'm like an old lady man i'll play a little bit of the slots and then i'm finished it really really fucking frightens me when you see like 75 year old women just smoking and pulling that handle i'm like that is a scary place yeah, and look, and you know that she's just in, having the time of her life uh, when in every every eight hours she plays like $3. She's enjoying it in like a nice sort of uh, simple way. To me, I just don't even like – it's like 
I just want to just go all in and try to make as much money as I can or just lose it all and be angry. So like, for you, the stakes like, have to be high. It has to be. It has to be. Um, you know, it's funny, man. I, I one time was walking down. You know those wheels you spin and there's like a dollar, a five, a 10, and a 20, and you put a denomination down, and if it lands on that, you win that money. So I put like a, a dollar down, and it landed on 20, and I won 20 bucks. And my first thought wasn't, hey, I won 20 bucks. My first thought was, fuck, why didn't you put down 20? You would have won 400. And I'm like, that's how they get you. That's whether it's the greed or the depression of losing. But I understood in that moment how bad gambling can be. Yeah, it's just enough of a hook to know that they're going to get you. And that's really and that's what the entire industry is based off of. And it just works. And uh, by the way, you're promoting, I want to just mention what you are calling for, uh, the new eighth season of Ridiculousness, and it's currently airing on Thursdays at 10 o'clock on MTV. So we definitely want to mention that. Are you comfortable with uncertainty? I mean, like, you know, you, you kind of seem like you're okay taking risks, and, and like, you, you're very comfortable with not exactly knowing where it's going to go. Yeah, I, I think yes and no, but risks are great, but calculated risks are better. Sure. You know what I mean? Especially calculated leaps of faith. You can't take any great strides forward, but if you don't fully understand the risk that you're taking and or what needs to happen for reward to exist, then you're just being stupid. You know. So for me, I love risk, but I love looking at tactical pathways to success and do I believe in everybody involved and that plan you know because at the end of the day it doesn't matter what you want to do no matter how big you dream there's an actual path there and once you build that path and you believe in that path you can achieve it but you can't just achieve it by thinking hoping you know so the so a lot of times the risks might look a little worse than they are because you've calculated them and you've kind of figured out the path hundred percent. You know, it would be the same way if uh, someone that you knew wasn't funny uh, told you that I'm going to be a famous comedian and, and you would say, oh, yeah, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm just going to like I'm just going to end up on a big show one day. You just know when someone just like doesn't even understand that it takes uh, refining and mastering your craft and grinding through small shows and free shows and building and building to even build your pathway. You know, most people just look at the end and never think of, like, actually how to get there. And and for those that don't know a path, they would think, oh, that's incredibly risky. But someone that calculates it, they know what they're risking, you know. How do you handle being afraid? I mean, because for me, fear can be something that motivates me on stage if it's fear at a certain level. But it can also be paralyzing. How do you not get paralyzed by it? But think about your fear, right? You know, when you're, when you're the most fearful on stage is when you're trying some new material that you don't fully believe in. But when you're doing all the stuff that you know that, you, that hits every single time and you get up there and you just deliver because you've already proven it, right? So fear is relative to what risk you're taking, you know what I mean? And, and I think uh, it in small doses – to calibrate and refine yourself is better. It's almost like failing uh, small uh, over and over to pivot and make yourself better and better rather than having one big major failure, you know. Right. That's an amazing, that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, have you always had like this relationship to danger and stuff like that? Like, you know, again, because I keep just, I can only just not relate to it. Like I, I admire guys like you who can not be terrified of being in a dangerous position and have you been like that since you were a kid or did you fall once and live through it and go oh this isn't as bad as i thought now look i didn't even really become a true hardcore like pushing the edge envelope stunt guy till i got into my 30s you know and 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 the reality of it was is i was building it for the content of these television shows right and and as I executed one after another and kind of built this confidence, I also, my motivation became this sort of lifetime highlight reel. And as it went from two or three clips, as it went from riding a bull to, to grinding a 20-stair rail to getting attacked by a shark to, like, to jockeying a horse for a race, as it slowly began, then I became more obsessed with the idea of your creating this sort of like life moments highlight reel that literally no one will ever have, you know, and that's almost fighting through the fear. And, and what I learned too in that space is 
you know, you can be as worried as you want up to the time it's go time, and then you have got to get as crystal clear as possible and execute. And I think that's really where my gift is and the ability of faith in myself to get through a lot of the dangerous stuff is just in that undeniable belief that you understand that in the greatest of pressure you know how to execute so do you think are you braver with the camera going like it's almost not as real if it's for the project or if it's for the show oh yeah oh yeah shit if it wasn't for tv i wouldn't be doing it <laughs> but it's weird how it doesn't <laughs> feel like, real right people like, try to comp- i'm not an adrenaline junkie i was making great tv and building a highlight and getting paid a shit ton of money when i flipped that car for the super bowl commercial that was i own the ufc of skateboarding right it is called Street League Skateboarding, and Chevy was the title sponsor of my league. Uh, it was the premier of Fantasy Factory. I was, for flipping that car, Chevy was a f- big integrated partner into the show, and it was for the Super Bowl commercial that year. No other way I would do it. No other way. Not a chance in hell. I'm going to get in this fucking car and try to flip this thing and hope that it fucking works out when nobody's pulled it off in like 40 years since like the 70s. If it, all those things weren't lined up and it wasn't this fully integrated, multi-platform, multi-million dollar deal, I wouldn't even consider it. But it motivated you. The, 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 uh, the, uh, the moment did. motivated you. It certainly did, and I got it forever, you know, and and that's the kind of thing that is unique about the stunt stuff is like it's not like competition. It's not like you're building a legacy of of trying to win championships or trying to win, uh, create stats as an athlete or any of that. Like it's literally just a human highlight reel, nothing more, nothing less. You know, um, what is the, this is again? I'm sure a question you've been asked many times, but I'm always interested in, in stuff like this. Uh, what, what's the worst injury you've suffered? Nothing significant. Oh, really? You got away kind I mean, of smart. I mean, as clean as you. I used to like fold my ankles all the time, and I read this book called "With Winning in Mind" about the idea of like if you just never think about getting hurt, you never get hurt. And I literally, you know, knock on wood had an entire professional skateboarding career. I turned pro at 16, uh, loosely retired at, at 38, you know, call it 36, 20 years later, and, and, and did years and years of stunts and literally have not even like a significant injury, not once, never been knocked out, never never broke a little bit of an arm once, but nothing significant, just fractured it. You know, it's funny, Jason Ellis is a buddy of mine, and I've talked to him about this, and he, you know, he's a guy who just took a shitload of injuries over the years. Yeah, yeah. He got annihilated. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> he didn't read the book. He didn't read the book. <laughs> now, you know what, what do you- I mean? And, and he's still suffering, you know what I'm saying? That motherfucker, he went and got like prolotherapy because he has the same doctor that I go to and then ended up getting like a staph infection from prolotherapy, you know. Well, and let me ask you now, has there been anything that you were scared and not gone through with? Like, is there anything that, like, that you were so afraid, you're like, I thought I could do this and you just couldn't go through with it? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't backflip a motorcycle. You were supposed to do it and said no? I just couldn't, couldn't get myself to do it. Like, you know, when you would like basically throw yourself, like I just have this weird inability to backflip. And like, I just could not like, like when I would try to like yank it and flip, I would just basically like fly straight backwards and land on my back. Couldn't even get myself upside down. Oh, okay. Um, do you get bored fast in, in like a project that you're doing? Like wh- when you're working on something, cause you do so many different things. What will start to happen where you're like, all right, fuck, man, I, I got to do something else. This is stagnating. But I just, I, I, I've grown into someone that would never allow that to happen, right? So even how I live in all the projects that I create from all the television shows, you know, that I produce outside of all the ones that I'm a part of to all the businesses that I own, I know that I don't like to actually operate the businesses. So uh, I love to create them, put all the pieces together and advise them. So even for me, as I've... Uh, evolved even how I exist in my uh, current structure I pulled myself even even out of my league that was my baby that I raised you know that trying to be a young Dana White and (laughs) and how much the UFC even helped me from getting my Fox deal and all the different things ultimately uh, I knew that I didn't 
uh, I don't f- enjoy being in the mundane side of operating. I love creating. So for my my venture business, it's really just about that sort of incubation of building businesses uh, to grow and sell them. Because the win for me is the sell. Uh, to prove that my theory in building uh, was the right thing, but but getting caught in like the mundane stuff, not not one part of my life do I do anything that I don't want, I don't truly enjoy. See, and that is that is kind of an interesting kind of adrenaline because the whole high of getting the business going and then selling it, and then like you know, hey, I don't want to run it, I just want to kind of create and then move on to the next thing. That's really it's a very ballsy thing to do because so many of us get stuck in in staying with what's comfortable and what's familiar and what we feel like is not gonna fail and you you get that built and then fucking all right move on to something else that's pretty that's uh, pretty ballsy yeah and or have multiple going at once or a complete plan so that your the stakes aren't so high either i'm leveraged across there is no one thing that will determine the success of my uh life you know what i mean it's like and it's it takes refining as you grow and have done so much and experienced so much you know i i took the time to really dive deep into what do I actually love to do the most. And I equated that to where do I find energy? Because you know what it is on some things you can sleep for eight hours and get up and like it's the weight of the world and you don't want to do it. And some things like you haven't slept for two days and you're more excited to do it. It's about chasing that energy is ultimately what I uh, had to find because I've done so much. Pro athlete, a stunt guy, a television, a business guy. Like what stuff do you actually love to do? And and then I built literally my entire life around that backwards, you know, as opposed to uh, just letting whatever was the thing in front of me lead the way uh, to what I thought I should do, you know. But after a while, does it feel hard to top the last one or to or to get like what you might consider a, a more of a success? And does it start to feel like lateral moves uh, after a certain point? It doesn't, right? It would be if you're chasing if I was chasing, let's say, TV fame, right? Now, it wasn't my intention to have, you know, to go from Robin Big to I did three seasons of Robin Big, and then I did eight seasons of Fantasy Factory, and now I'm in the eighth season of Ridiculousness that's bigger than those two, right? Now, I wouldn't have, I didn't feel the need to create the next television show as if I was some television star. I I felt my business side was more passionate. I focused on that side, right? And and so if I was only chasing TV, I could see that. But, uh, you know, or for what traditional, you know, anyone in entertainment or whatever it may be where you just kind of get into a position of like once you level up, uh, what is the next level? You know, and, and a lot of things that have traditional trajectories, I just didn't build my path or my purpose around that, right? By by building my path and purpose around creating all these different little things that I help incubate then then accelerate, uh, that gives me purpose and that's scalable forever. You know, there is no there is no no ceiling on that nor width, right? It's as as many as you find energy and go to, and some big, some small, but. Uh, as long as your life continues to evolve and elevate, you know, I very strategically, the way that I handle money and finances is about, I consider it a snowball effect, where regardless of whatever I do, the money grows on top of itself, and you live within the means of it, and your lifestyle, so you, you have the ultimate security of that never going away, right? Like that's something that, that is really hard to account for how much peace that actually gives to your life purpose by being able to put yourself in a position to where you are not worried about what's next, you know. And you're obviously a huge UFC fan. You mentioned the UFC and, and being close with Dana. Who was the first fighter that you really fell in love with watching? Chuck Liddell all day. Yeah, I think that's most I mean, of I our just, answer, right? That's Look, and it's like when those Randy Couture battles were like, like nothing ever, you know what I mean. I think even seeing him fight uh, Wanderlei was like probably the biggest like you know live fight for me that I've ever seen. You know what I mean. I I think you know it's it's you know forget about the early days of like loving. Uh, I'd even say I was even like up on the Tito run too, right at that that sort of early like oh six oh five oh six zone. You know, but. You know, forget about the early days of of where it all started, and the more like once it became refined in that sort of era, it wasn't like 
you know, I had a Chuck Liddell haircut at one point. And, <laughs> Did you? And like big black, this was like right during the, like right when we were fin- uh, filming uh, Robin Big too. And like big black showed up one day with a photo of him and Chuck from like some fundraiser or something. I was like, what? You know, like, but only certain I, people can pull that haircut off. Yeah, and, and the fact that it's just for life, and the fact that he's like such a wild man. Well, you know what? When you talked about the uh, the Couture fights or, or, or the Tito fights, w- the Rich Franklin fight, which Chuck lost, I think it was the end of the first round, where I, 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 he was kicking, he was throwing more kicks than he had thrown. I think he had broken one of Rich's arms, and then Rich knocked him out with a short pop at, at the very end of the round. That also was great proof that, like, no matter how great you are or how tough you are, there is somebody that can beat you, and you can never really feel like a guy is undefeatable in the UFC. Yeah, but but think about that general theme over the last year. Think about the theme of just like from Connor, just invincible. He's just gonna mow over Diaz and get back to his title run, and then like, damn, he got choked out. It's like Ronda, this is gonna be the biggest fight we're down under in Australia. Oh, damn, like she got. And then like, oh, Holly Holm must be on a run. Oh shit, she gets beat. You know, it's like it's almost like, like from from Woodley to Bisbing to like every. It has just never ever been to the point where it is like. Uh, so many different changing in the guard and so many different people winning the title and, and thinking like, oh, this person's going to hold it for a second and like these great powerful start like it just has never been like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think a lot of that too is and I had asked Dana about that. I think a lot of it is that there's so many good fighters. It's hard for one person to stay that much better or that much ahead of everybody else. Yeah, and it's tragic to see, you know, Anderson did it for so long, and then it just, you know, from kicking that leg in half and never fully ever getting back, you know what I mean? But then uh, nobody holding that division to then John Jones not being able to lock in on it, you know, and, and going through this chaos, you know, it's, it's, I think it's still, it's just sports. And now that it's so competitive, that real cream, when it rises, it's going to be in, incredibly, uh, you know, because obviously in, in the flyweight, it's like I don't think he's lost in a really long time. You know, I think no. it was the same. We, we kind of felt that way about Aldo, and then he, like, that happened, you know, and it's like. Henan Barrow had a long running uh, until until yeah. he finally got dropped by TJ. Yeah, and it's like it's just sports. Like where it's just when when someone does do it, it makes it that much more special. You know what I mean? And then God forbid you put some like fire behind it, like Connor has. You know, it's like you know you you want to see that momentum build because it becomes that Floyd Mayweather thing where half half the people tune in because they just want to see him lose so bad. Yeah, you know? I had a newfound respect for him. Like you know, I, I never disliked the guy, but I certainly didn't love him. But after the way he, uh, you know, he, he won a five-round decision against Diaz, I mean, you can't not respect Conor McGregor. Uh, yeah, he fought I mean, a brilliant, look, beautiful fight. Hey, and you knew, end of that third round, he was gone. Same shit. He gassed, and yep. he was going to get fucking not. And it was just like, I was so like, man, and like, to dig deep enough to to just slow down and try to recover and get like, it's it's a, it obviously... It's so rare. Almost, I would almost equate watching that fight to what it felt like to be at Game 7 of the NBA Finals this year. Right. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it literally, like, every shot mattered. Like, every punch mattered. Like, five rounds straight. It just was just every... It, it was like on the edge of your seat the entire way. And that's just so rare in sports, especially super high build sports that are you know you got to think it's one of the biggest fights in ufc history non-title non-weight like just like two dudes fighting yeah it just and all this and the matchup was almost accidental because of uh dos anjos getting hurt and and jose aldo not wanting to take the fight on short notice yeah not only accidental but into the biggest one of their biggest fights in history man it's nuts i think that's what's so fun about this sport is that there are these rivalries that for some reason happen that don't seem to happen anymore in boxing or maybe they just aren't don't feel as spontaneous or as alive uh and before we let you go uh who do you have in uh in uh cleveland uh stipe against uh alistair overeem four years ago was the same time that they signed overeem I was like, man, this guy is going to come in here and just 
just kill everybody. You know what I mean? And that was a rude awakening for a guy like him over the last four years of how difficult it is in that division. And I'm from Ohio. Oh. You know what I mean? I'm born and raised in Ohio. So if my sister's got tickets. You know what I mean? Like I'm for the Cleveland guy till 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 the cows come home. I hope he holds that title for the next five years. You know? Yeah, I do too. I, I like him a lot. And uh, well, thank you so much, dude. You're really. In the, I apologize for my ignorance a little bit. I'm I'm on two days with no sleep and uh, no excuse for my shitty dumb questions. But you're an awesome guy to interview. Um, you're really open, and I appreciate it. Uh, the new yeah, H- man. We just had to get flowing, man. We yeah. had to get flowing, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? All we had to do was just talk, man. Yeah, you're an interesting guy, man, and and, and I really admire the way you live your life. Um, and the uh, the eighth season of your show, Ridiculousness, is currently airing on Thursdays at ten o'clock. Pardon me, ten o'clock on MTV. And uh, man, I, I really hope to talk to you again soon. I appreciate you giving us so much time. All right, all the best. All right, thanks, Rob. I'll see you soon. All right. What a good dude. Yeah, that was a great interview. I love. Yeah, what a really good that. dude. Yeah. I just feel really unprepared. So I apologize to the listeners today for being a little unprepared. Just chalk it up to not having my uh, the notes that I would prepare and, and just from being on no sleep and flying and being on Dramamine and not seeing my you know partner and then walking out of a meeting with an icon. But uh, this was still fun. I mean, I'm happy I came in. We're happy to have you, man. And uh, we'll talk about the fights tomorrow, Matt and myself. We were going to get him on the phone, but that uh, Rob Dyrdek interview ran long. So we'll just talk to Matt when he's here tomorrow. And um, thank you guys for listening. And I hope this doesn't make you not want to download the podcast anymore. Please keep listening. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.